So welcome back to another exciting Pointless Exercise podcast. Um, I, as always, I'm your host, Andy, and a very special podcast tonight. Uh, my guest tonight hit 281 in a nine-year career as an infielder for the White Sox, Rockies, Cardinals, Dodgers, and one disastrous Daniel Descalso-like season with the Cubs when he hit 185 in 74 games. Please welcome Aaron Miles. Hey, one of uh, Lou Pinella's favorites, along with Kosuke Fukudome. Glad to be here. <laughs> oh, wait, it's Bruce Miles. Well, actually, this is this is better. I'd much rather talk to Bruce Miles than, than Aaron Miles. The only thing I really had to talk I, I about... I can assure you, you're right about that. The only thing I would have had to ask Aaron about was the time him and Morgan Ensberg and the four other Astros minor leaguers got held hostage at the hotel. But other than that, I was, <laughs> a, I was I would have been a short podcast, so... Yeah, and if he were playing for the Cubs, Lou Pinello would have told the uh, the, the captors to keep him. <laughs> One of the guys Lou hated the most. Oh, he was he was amazingly bad for them. And then did he go back. It was the whole thing where I mean they, they they got rid of Mark DeRosa, took him on, and took Milton Bradley yeah. on. So that this it was this whole just thing that just kind of was exponentially very very bad. Yeah, nothing improves your team like the biggest malcontent in baseball history, and then a squatty little second baseman that was probably best suited to just pinch hitting. But uh, that's great roster management. And I I say that at a time when I feel like Theo is being forced into weird roster management, too. Although he hasn't, hasn't done anything, so he can't screw up the roster yet. Yeah, well, they made a bunch of minor league signings. I would say one of the the great things about being semi-retired is I don't have to get up from dinner to write a story about them trading Tony Kemp, so. <laughs> I honestly had forgotten that they still had Tony Kemp. Um, so if no one had told me they traded him to the A's, I, I don't think I would have noticed. Probably not. I mean, I probably thought that he was Terrence Long or somebody like that, so. Uh, so, Bruce, how many years did you cover the Cubs for the Daily Herald? Okay, as the beat writer, I covered them for 22 years, from uh, 1998 through 2019 inclusive. But I started covering baseball in 1989, helping out the, the beat writers at the Daily Herald, working weekends, uh, writing features and that. So I covered baseball for 31 years, but 22 full-time as the uh, the beat writer uh, of the Daily, uh, for the Daily Herald in you know, uh, great run, and, uh, you know, the mind is not totally mushed from all that, but, uh, you know, uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. So you saw some you saw some good teams and some just god-awful baseball. What's oh, you know what? My first year was like Kerry Wood's 20-strikeout game in the Sosa McGuire home run chase. Yeah, you're like, well, this is easy. Anybody could cover a beat. There's a exciting story every day, and then yeah. Well, then the the next year you'd learn otherwise. Next year, I was covering Chad Myers and Jose Nieves as a double play combination. <laughs> so that that's how quickly it changed. The Cubs, believe it or not, that year in 1999 started out 33 and 22, and I think from like August 1st to the end of the season, they won like seven games. It seemed like. I think I remember they twice under Riggleman they had a stretch where they went 10 and 40. I think it happened to him two different times. Now that's, that's, <laughs> that's amazingly bad to play 40 games under 500 over 50 games. 
Uh, you almost have to try to be that bad. But but you're right. I mean, I saw some good ones. I saw some, uh, a few good ones and a lot of bad ones. But the thing about covering the Cubs, it was always interesting no matter what. There was, every day I would turn to whoever was sitting next to me and say, it's always something on this damn beat. There's never a day where it's just like routine. So when I um, I wrote I wrote the Cub Convention preview for the Athletic, and then because they're not they haven't done anything, I wrote another Cub Convention preview this week. And I in my mind because Carlos Zambrano is coming back to the convention, I immediately thought I loved Carlos. He was one of my all time favorites. Although I imagine he could be probably a little volatile to have to cover. But I remembered two distinct incidents that I wanted to to put in the thing and one was the time he threw the ball from home plate into the stands and then was the time that he destroyed the Gatorade machine with the bat and I found the highlight and it was the same thing it all happened it all happened at once I was just amazed by that and it was funny because I was at the game that day so I didn't get to hear the the broadcast but I watched it later on and and like Len Kast was going no Carlos no no but it was, it was a hell of a throw, wasn't it? He'd have nailed the guy at home plate if he were throwing it from left field. He could have thrown the guy out at home plate from the rooftop, I think. That was that was quite a toss. Now, he, you know, here's the thing about Carlos that a lot of people don't know. A really, really good-hearted guy, but a lot of times a knucklehead. But, you know, he's a guy that's built churches in Guatemala. But he's always come back, and, and the first thing he does is he always visits with the media. And one of the guys he always visits with is, is Paul Sullivan. And a lot of people have this impression, especially on social media and some of these sites, that, you know, you know Sully had it in for Z. It was all a big act. There was one day in the middle of all that that Carlos came up with his weekday morning game, came up to the press box to visit us, and he sat next to Sully. So just uh, one of the most fun fun guys ever to cover. And here's the, the other thing. I remember when he first came up and I think it was 2001 could barely speak English. The next couple of years, he was like interpreting for guys like hmm. Roberto Navola. And that was in Spanish. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, he, he just, uh, just, you know, did a lot of dumb stuff. But if you look, it's amazing. Like on the Cubs leaderboard all time, how many categories that Carlos Zambrano is in like the top five or ten of, but uh, uh, just just love covering because you just never knew. Well, he's such a great athlete. Um, you know, he's a, he was legitimately a switch hitter for a pitcher, which is ridiculous. And you know, he just I was you know he, there were there were things he would do like there was the the famous game against the Cardinals when he gave up a home run and got mad and drilled Edmonds in the back, and he would just snap. And, you know, that always, that, that wasn't great. But then, like, in 2004, during the collapse at the end of the season, he was amazing. I mean, he, he, him and Maddox, actually, were kind of single-handedly, you know, keeping them in it at, down the stretch. So I, I do think people remember the kind of the crazy stuff that Carlos did and don't appreciate just what a good player he was for actually a pretty long, he had a relatively long career. Um, we think of it, he was so young when he came up that, you know, it should have been longer, but you know, he was a hell of a well, Yeah. And they, they don't remember that. And, and I say, like uh, I mentioned a minute ago, the, the number of categories where he's in the all time leaderboard, but you mentioned a great athlete. You should have seen him grab a, like a soccer ball and do all kinds of tricks. With it, you think he's this big lumbering like baby Huey type of guy, but 
very, very agile, uh, tremendous athlete, could run really fast. And I think one time I heard his hamstring hustling down the line. And, you know, if you could have, you know, traded the Ramos Ramirez's for him in, in that regard or whatever, you might have, you know, really had something. But, uh, no, just uh, Carlos was, uh, was a pleasure to be around. And, like, you just never knew what it was going to be from day to day. So, you know, there was – so there's been news the last couple of days. Um, obviously, the the penalties have come out for the Astros sign stealing. And first, we got word that AJ Hinch and Jeff Lunau had been suspended for a calendar year, I guess. And then Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, who somehow managed to avoid punishment, uh, had a press conference and immediately fired them, as if that would, you know, get the moral high ground back for him. And then everybody was wondering what would happen to Red Sox manager Alex Cora because he was he was there in 2017 with the Astros, and then the Red Sox were under investigation for 2018 when he was the manager, and the Red Sox kind of preemptively fired him tonight. So I guess my first question for you is, uh, Red Sox or Astros, which team should hire Dusty? <laughs> I, I just couldn't imagine Dusty in in Boston. So I, I'm going to say he, the Astros probably should do that. But I'm thinking, you know, with all this going on, Joe Madden, he's probably thinking, if I was going to get fired, I probably should have stolen a few signs on the way out yeah. or, or something if we were going to have this parting of the ways. But, yeah, yeah I mean, you're right. I mean, for, for Crane to get fined uh, $5 million, that's like, you know, finding, you know, 15 cents for me and you in the cushions of our couch. That's really no, you know, nothing against him. But I just think that MLB was, you know, looking to more than just to punish these guys. It was a deterrent against future actions of this sort. And, you know, it's just, just, just whole thing's kind of dumb. It's because these teams were warned but before they they did this and, and they continued to do it. So in a lot of ways, they don't have anybody but to, to blame but themselves, you know, or for being suspended and then being fired. Well, and so there's a lot of talk about, you know, people have been stealing signs forever. You know, why is it, why is this a big deal? But this isn't, this isn't stealing signs. This isn't the, the art of figuring out a sequence that the catcher is giving the pitcher, whatever this is, you point a camera at the catcher and then you have somebody look at a monitor down the hallway from the dugout and yell what's going to happen. I mean, that's, there's no, there's no art to that. So it's no, and it's, you know, if it's a, and if you're doing it in your home park, it would be, it would be nice if like the other team had access to a monitor. So yeah. at least we're on a level playing field where, you know, if, uh, you know, say like with the white Sox, they, they keep showing that one clip of the, the far, far, whoever it was, saying, you know, they're stealing the science. Yeah. If the Sox or whoever it was playing the Astros had access to the same kind of thing where they could do it to kind of level the playing field. But, yeah, this is a, the totally, uh, you know, early to mid-21st century type of stuff where, you know, the, there's no real ingenuity to it where you're picking up something on the field and, you know, relaying it because you were smart enough to pick it up. So, you know, we know they're investigating the... They investigated the Astros, obviously, because we got the report. They're investigating the Red Sox. The Astros apparently ratted out some other teams to Major League Baseball and said they think they're doing it, which anecdotally makes our neighbors to the north uh, suspicious, given the disparity in the home away stats of some of their best players, like Christian Yellick. Um, so, 
it may not. I think a lot of people think, all right, well, they'll rule on the Red Sox and then this is over. Maybe it will be. Maybe they don't want to continue to go and dig up more stuff, but there's a chance that this, that we're going to find out, you know, more stuff. Do we think that the, the Cubs actually forced Gary Pressey to retire because he was sending coded messages to the hitters through the organ? That's my new theory. Well, I'll give Gary a call the night after we're done and ask him that. That might have meant something. We don't know that. Uh, but, but uh, you know, to, to me it's like it's probably, I don't want to make a direct comparison, but like the steroid thing, do we really know? Do we really know other teams were not doing it? Just like do we really know that player X who said he wasn't doing steroids, you know, wasn't doing them just because he said so? So, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that there's been this kind of gag order. You know, like if the Dodgers are going to complain about they lost two World Series because of this, are we going to find out the day after tomorrow that they were doing it too? Yeah, I mean, we it's, – it's impossible to know, and I don't think baseball really wants – you know, these were kind of thrust upon them. They, the, they were made, the accusations were made publicly, and so they had to do something about it. And I think the they just want to make examples of the Red Sox and Astros and then drop it. They don't want this to to continue and drag on and make it seem like, well, hell, half the teams were, you know, were doing something. So then, you know, one of the people who this directly affected is you, Darvish, who it, you can't really absolve. The, 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 the sign-stealing wouldn't have been the reason that he pitched so poorly in Game 7 of that World Series, because that was in Dodger Stadium. But it certainly could have, in his first start in that World Series, which was um, in Houston, and, you know, when a team lights you up like that and just seems to be on everything, you know, it's going to screw you up on your next start, too. Um, You know, there was a lot of thought that, well, he was tipping his pitches, and so that will just fix that. Um, But it's... I think we look at it initially as, wow, what a tremendous advantage for the hitters, but don't not realizing that the what it does to the pitchers can carry over even after they leave that park. I mean, you could be in a groove, think you're pitching really well, and all of a sudden go, I don't, I don't have anything. I can't get, I couldn't get anybody out. So there's kind of a there's a psychological toil toll, as well as whatever you know physical advantage that it gives the team because it would, you know. Obviously, there are some hitters who, if they know a fastball is coming, you're not going to be able to get it by them, and it's a, just a, it's a tremendous advantage, which is why to a to a kind of a casual baseball fan, they may look at this and think, well, why is any of this really that big a deal? But it is. Well, it is. It affects contracts. It affects uh, careers, and you know, a guy like Darvish, who I think is. And I don't mean this, that he's soft, but I think he's a sensitive guy to begin with and, and that he takes a lot of things to heart. And he's going to think, you know, if they're doing it in Dodger Stadium or they're doing it in Houston, I mean, what's, you know, when I'm coming to the Cubs, are they doing it in St. Louis? Are they doing it in Milwaukee? Are they doing it in, in other places, you know, where I'm pitching? And, yeah, I think that does get into your heads, uh, whether it's Darvish or anybody else. But, yeah, this is uh, much more than just, you know, good old-fashioned science dealing. This is, I think, just using a, a totally unfair advantage in, in your own in your own part to do this. And, yeah, it, it does have effects down the line. So I, the person who was immediately rumored 
or not even rumored, the people connecting the dots with the Astros to be the manager would be Joe Espada, who was their bench coach. And people said, well, because he didn't have anything to do with it. Well, if I'm the Astros, I don't know that I want to just go hire somebody who was in that dugout. I think I think you probably need I think you probably need to go outside, even if you keep some or most of those coaches. It it doesn't it seems like when it, when it's this big of a deal to just take the bench coach from the second season that you or the third I lost track the third season you were accused of doing it, uh, whether Joe was named or not. Um, I would think this would make it less likely that he would be the one that would succeed AJ Hinch. Oh, I agree a hundred percent on that because again, you know, how do you know when you know what's a bench coach doing anyway? I mean, you know, he's the the conduit to the manager and is he looking over or is he, you know, getting some sort of sign from somebody else to pass along to the manager or to the catcher or whatever. But you know, I, I gotta think you're right there. I gotta think, you know, if you're looking to really clean up or do whatever, you know, there's a guy out there named Bruce Bochi who's retired but probably could be talked into something. That, that might be your very, very best option right now to restore credibility and, and give you a guy who's won, you know, more than one World Series and who has a sterling reputation in the game. I think immediately uh, a hire like that or, or some equivalent, I, I, I can't think of one right now who, who that would be, would really, really um, go a long ways in restoring uh, some equilibrium there and giving your organization some renewed credibility. So yeah, I've always wondered what bench coaches really do. I always assumed that the Cubs bench coach, their main job was to make sure that Joe, there was wine in Joe's Gatorade cup. I always assumed that was that was your that was your number one role was to make sure that that when he wanted to grab that one, uh, that there was something in it. Um, but otherwise, I don't really know know what they do. <clears throat> and then the Red Sox, that's a that's another interesting. Um, you know, they cleaned house in the front office. So is is Dave Dombrowski gonna get gonna have a year long suspension when he's not doing anything anyway? And then who do they hire for a manager? I mean, you know, what what's what's Grady Little up to? Maybe they can bring Grady back. Um Or John Farrell, a guy like that. Uh yeah, that that's the other interesting one there, uh given the high profile of the city and so forth, but yeah, I mean, these are all things that I think we're going to see unfold over the next few days, especially since spring training yeah. opens a less, less than a month from now. Yeah, you can't take a lot of time. But these are two they're two of the four or five best jobs in baseball that both just come open, like less than a month before pitchers and catchers report. That's the timing. Nothing, and to, to say nothing of what's going to happen in New York with the Mets if Carlos Beltran is not dragged into this further. Right. I mean, it, it sounds like the only reason he's not going to get punished is because they they worked out whatever that weird deal was where all players got anonymity right. or, or immunity and were allowed, to, and he fell under that. But yeah, I mean, it's tough. If he played as big a role in it as everybody says he did, it's tough for the Mets then, seeing the other two teams fire those managers to not fire... Carlos, but I don't think they're going to. It does, sort of doesn't no, seem like probably they... not. Even though there's kind of a moral imperative there that he was involved some way, you know, it's you know, kind of like the whole Hall of Fame steroid type of thing. We don't know, but but yeah, um, but but all those things. But yeah, he may be safe because of that. So while MLB Network was 
talking the Alex Cora news had broke tonight, uh, so I tuned that on to see what was going on. We found out that Josh Donaldson has a home. He signed with the Twins for four years, um, which is probably a year longer than you really wanted to sign him for. But if it takes four years to get him and you want him, you get him. So that that has interesting ramifications for the Cubs, given that if they really are going to trade Chris Bryant. The Twins were not a team that was rumored to be in on that. So actually removing them from the potential, from teams who need a third baseman doesn't hurt the Cubs. Um, but there, So now there are the Nationals, the Braves, and considering what you think of um, Todd Frazier, we know what Hawk Harrelson thinks of him, but what everybody else thinks of Todd Frazier, maybe the Rangers still need third baseman. Um while we wait around for the, uh, for the seemingly endless Chris Bryant grievance decision, is the best third baseman left on the market Daniel Descalso? Maybe Theo. <laughs> Theo should just be on the phone. Put your packages together. Your three best prospects, and we've got a guy here. Well, probably not. Hey, and and, and not to say nothing of you know what happens with Arenado. You know whether you believe that that's far along with the Cardinals or not. Uh, but I, I'm just, you know, I'm looking, I've got the, the stats pulled up here, and I'm looking at a 903 OPS for Bryant, and so many Cubs fans, you know, are ready to dress up in doorman's uniforms and, and take them to the airport or see them out the door, and I just don't get it. I, I just, and when he's healthy, he's not a good player, he's not a great player, he's an elite player when he's healthy, and all this talk about, you know, soft, he play, he's played through so many injuries since he's come up, ankle, thumb, shoulder, whatever it's been, I, I, I'm just having a hard time getting it. Bruce, I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you in a little secret with Cub fans. A lot <laughs> of them, a lot of them are morons. <laughs> They've been morons forever. The team getting good didn't make them less moronish. Moronic? Moronic, I guess would be the word. They're still morons. No, it doesn't make any sense. He is, I love Javi. I love him. Chris Bryant's their best player. He just, no doubt. He just is. And it makes no sense. None, if you're actually trying to win anything next year, to trade him, and you know it, there you you can't possibly come up with a baseball-related reason why you would trade your best player off of still a pretty good team, a team that should be better than it is, but since they've been sitting around not filling any holes, it's deteriorating before our very eyes. Um, unless, unless you, they've already decided that. They just don't want to sign him when he's a free agent. This is not a matter of they can't sign him. They absolutely can. They yeah. there's, there's enough money to do that if they want to. They've just decided that they don't want to for whatever reason. It doesn't – no one can make sense of it to me. No, and you said something a minute ago about a, a team that, you know, still, you know, wants to win or can win. I'm not sold on the Reds. I'm not sold on the Brewers. The, the Cubs with maybe one – or two moves, you know, it can still be a favorite or the co-favorite in this division. I've seen over the years this team is going to be the, the favorite in their division, and they win 75 games, whatever it is. Uh, so, you know, I agree that Brian can still be a centerpiece to this, and there's no reason why he shouldn't be. And, you know, I'll just be uh, interested to hear what Theo says at the Cubs convention this coming weekend about it. We're certainly not going to hear from Tom Ricketts unless Ryan Dempster asked him about it at the Friday night talk show thing. But, uh, 
I'll be interested to see what Theo says about this. So as we were getting ready for this, we were trading messages, we were getting ready for this podcast. Um, you know, you pointed out that the, the Dempster tweet where he was crowdsourcing on Twitter. What question should I ask Don Laura Ricketts? That thread is, I just made fun of Cub fans and called a bunch of them morons. But the people who responded to that were, it, it's a great thread. They didn't, they didn't let him off the hook at all. And it's basically no. They, they didn't. And the other obvious thing is, there used to be a session that fans were able to do this. You shouldn't have to ask Ryan Dempster to ask questions for you. Get these people back up on Saturday morning, like they used to do it for ten years, and let people have at it. It it's unbelievable. Of all the things that have ever happened to the Cubs, I think the most unbelievable thing is that this the kids whose daddy bought them a baseball team and let them run it, they won a World Series. And that should be enough. You know, we'd waited four generations, literally, for the Cubs to win a World Series. There should have been enough goodwill off of that to last them for 20 years. And they pissed it away in three years. There That's is, a hell of an accomplishment, it's, too, it's by the way. unbelievable. Just, I mean, they're, they're loathed again. It's it, the speed at which they did it is really impressive. Actually, and, and when you see these responses on Twitter, can we have the Tribune Company back? Was one of them. <laughs> I mean, you're you're going some there. I mean, here's the, the Tribune was accused of being a corporation that ran it like a family, and now you've got a family that's running it like a corporation. The the, the turnaround and the loss of goodwill to me is just stunning. It is absolutely stunning how. They like you say they've pissed away all of this goodwill in almost no time at all. Yeah, I, 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 I could not. I, you know, on November second or third, whenever, wherever, whatever time zone you were in, in 2016, if someone had told you that, enjoy this because <laughs> it's going to go downhill immediately, even with still really good teams the next few years, but just you know the. All of the 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 Ricketts, even before they won the World Series, if there's a uh, if there's a landmine to step on, they step on it. That their public relations are abysmal on you know anything. I mean, if you could sit and make a list as long as your arm of things as seemingly trivial as throwing away Ron Santos, um, throwing away Ron Santos. You know, get well soon. Cards, cards, and cake and to the cake. What? To somehow being completely unprepared to introduce a role as Chapman, to then also being completely unprepared for any backlash when they traded for um, Daniel Murphy, to the way they handled the the Addison Russell thing with Joe, who's typically really sharp, saying I haven't read it and I, I don't plan to read it, and then the 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 Joe Ricketts emails come out, and then. The family emails come out where they're all complaining to each other about how come Tom, everybody thinks Tom's the owner and all that stuff. And it's just on and on and on. Plus, and when the hell are, when we're in the hell are the Comcast subscribers going to watch them in next month? Yeah. Well, that and is, that, that's that been a, <laughs> the minute they announced they were going to launch their own network, you know, it's there's there was no way you could put any faith that Crane was going to handle that, going to handle that launch and not leave out a huge swath of Cub fans, and they've managed to leave out the biggest one, which is Comcast. You know, the most fans in Chicago, that's how they would access this channel, 
And if you're Comcast, what's your motivation to cut a deal with the Cubs? You you actually own the competing network. Right. So, yeah, you're not going to want Cub fans to be mad forever. But I I almost guarantee you they're going to they're going to let the Cubs sweat it out. Opening day is going to come and go and they're not going to be on Comcast yet. And there'll be a certain number of fans who say screw it, you know, I don't care. After all this, after all the things, that litany of stuff you mentioned, you know, and, you know, I'm sure there's still a lot of bad blood with the neighbors around the park and everything for the uh, the Disneyland that they've turned it into. But like everything else that you mentioned, the Addison Russell thing, the emails, the, the petulant family thing, that, that maybe a number of people and, and those who have given up their season tickets already are saying the hell with it. I don't care, yeah, which is I, not good. Maybe it's the mild winter. But I've never looked less forward to spring training than this year. Normally, by this time of the year, I can't wait for Major League Baseball to get back to spring training because it kind of signals, you know, the weather's going to get better. We're finally going to have baseball every day. It's going to be great. And I'm, it's not that I'm dreading it, but I'm ambivalent to it right now. I think a lot of it is just they haven't done anything. And then the fear that when they finally get around to doing something, it's going to be ruining their team. You know, they're going to, they're going to get rid of their best player. You know, they haven't talked about trading Will Contreras lately, but I can't imagine that's off the table. And No. Or it could be Schwarber. It could be, it could be somebody. So instead of taking this core and adding to it, which they didn't do last year, you know, everybody got distracted by the uh, Bryce Harper thing. Say, well, they should, why? No, the Cubs shouldn't spend $300 on Bryce Harper. Yes, the Cubs should spend $300 million on Bryce Harper. The whole time you looked at it and said, irregardless of that, they need a, they need a couple of bodies for the bench who can they they need their bullpen is thin they don't have a closer because at the time it was still Brandon Morrow and we knew he was we didn't know he was going to miss the whole season but we knew that he's probably going to get hurt again and they didn't address any of that and here we are another year later and it's the same thing and on top of that no matter what, like last year, you always had a you could trot a guy out there every day named Joe Madden who could deflect all that. He could say everything's going to be all right. This he had sayings. He had this. Now you have a rookie manager, and God love him. You know he's you know talking of all this, but this is a different situation now. You know he's going to be asked all these questions, and how in the hell does he answer them? And now and then he's going to step on his tongue or whatever it is. But you always had the last few years. You always had that front man who could make it like it sound like everything's going to be okay, yeah. even if it wasn't. Right. Joe was. Um. He he was somehow charmingly arrogant. He, yeah. He 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 felt like I've seen it all. I've I'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. I've got it all handled, no matter how bad it was. You know, sometimes it was to his detriment, <laughs> but mostly, you know, there you know they went five years where you knew they were in good hands. You knew he wasn't going to get, even though people make a big deal out of the way that he handled the the bullpen at the end of the World Series. Um, he wasn't going to get outmanaged. He wasn't going to get out-strategized or out-thought. And his team was going to show up and be prepared and play well. And I agree with you. I think David Ross could be a really good manager, but he's never done it before. And they're not doing him any favors by throwing him into this situation. Um, you know, they this this is the year that they need the experienced manager, and it's the first year in five years that they don't have it. That's not really a recipe for greatness. 
No, and like you said, I think that dovetails into, you know, I think a lot of people feel like you do, that, you know, what do we have to look forward to? You know, after 14, you know, they, they it was a bad year, but they, they fired Renteria, they hired Joe, something to look forward to. They signed Lester, something to look forward to. The next year, you know, after they made the playoffs and went to the NLCS, they, they signed Hayward. Maybe it didn't turn out the way it was, but it was something to look forward to. Always it was something to look forward to. And, and this year it's like, geez, uh, I guess this non-roster guy has a chance, don't he? <laughs> yeah. What number is Jarrell Cotton going to be so I can go out and buy my jersey? That's really all I'm waiting for. I just want to know. But, the, you know, the other thing, I was talking a little bit about the, the Ricketts always stepping on landmines. There, there apparently is no long-range planning in within that organization, except for, I'm sure Theo does long-range planning, and then he's told, yeah, that money we told you we're going to have, you're not going to have that. But the idea that this is the year you launch the network, and we are going to do our best to water down the enthusiasm of our fans right before they can watch the Cubs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, I'm glad they didn't go the way Theo got burned in Boston when Larry Lucchino went to him and said, we need we need sexier, more famous players to prop up ratings on Nesson. And it was when he went out and he um, traded for, um, he got Carl Crawford and he got... It was Adrian Gonzalez yeah. and those guys. And, he, and they ended up, they were good players with terrible contracts who then when they didn't work out, um, they had to, after Theo left, they had to find a way to offload them. So you didn't, you didn't want them to do that and just sign names, but you certainly didn't want them to do the opposite, which was to take players the fans are attached to, not just because, not like the old days when we got attached to flawed players that we just thought were cool. These are really good players and the uh, the thought that well we're gonna we're gonna get better by just we're gonna get rid of one or two of them and then we're gonna bring in these prospects and then we'll just keep we'll just keep the machine moving well we're supposed to trust the same guys who who draft prospects that don't pan out unless they're picking in the top 10 of the first round the prospects you know they haven't they haven't developed anybody so it's hard to sell to the fans we're gonna trade chris bryant We'll get four or five good young players, and then we'll just keep going. Fans have every right to go. Well, the same guys judging those prospects and other teams are the guys that, you know, drafted pitcher after pitcher after pitcher that we've never seen. Yeah, and one of those pitchers might have been Mark Appel had Houston taken Chris Bryant. Let's not forget that if the Astros had taken Bryant, the Cubs were doomed. Yeah, it would have been Appel or John Gray, right? I think that was yeah. I'm sure it would have been a pal, but once once that the Astros took him, I I called my Cubs guy and I said, "You guys are taking Brian." I got the tweet ready to go, and he goes, "You you're probably right, but man, I, I think that from what I've been told, it would have been a pal." And, and man, I think there's no 2016 World Series then. I mean, so they got a little lucky there. I mean, they they drafted high and they also got lucky there too. But yeah, you're right in all those things that you said. And then again, if you trade Bryant, who plays third base? David Bodie. I guess. <laughs> David, late inning defense, throw the ball into the stands, Bodie. Um, uh, well, you you know, know, and I remember, too, talking at the beginning of this, going on radio shows and people saying, do you think, like, two World Series in this reign of Theo will be enough? 
man, they'll be lucky if one is, I mean, they'll be fortunate that one might be it. People ask me, well, two or three World Series really mark this uh, Epstein, you know, regime as, you know, legit and put the stamp on it. Two or three, you might not get two. The way it's going, you probably won't. No. And it's, you know, we know it's really hard. It's really hard to win the World Series. I mean, we see that. And, but, so it's not even... It's not even that. It's that, you know, they went to the three consecutive NLCSs. That was great. But they were completely non-competitive in two of them. Yeah. You know, the Mets wiped them out. The Dodgers wiped them out. They were lucky to win a game in that Dodgers series so they didn't get swept again. And then, you know, they didn't. And then it was wild card game and out. Then it was don't make the playoffs at all. You know, I think we expected that, you know, they're – We'll be duking it out in the NLCS, but most likely against the Dodgers. We could tell when we were playing the Dodgers in 16 that that was, you know, that was the other really good team in the National League, and that's who we're going to be up against. You would have expected that if, if they only had the one World Series, that they had lost some epic ga- six or seven game NLCSs along the way, but they didn't do that. They, you know, they won one other playoff series after that, um, thanks to, well, Dusty helped. And, um, yeah. But really, thanks to a to a replay review with Jose Lobaton off the bag at first base by a centimeter that bailed Wade Davis out of the eighth when it looked like you know they were gonna they were giving that lead back to the Nats. I mean, they were that close. Oh, there's, there's no way the Cubs should have won that series, and they can also thank Trey Turner, you know, who took a major dump in mm-hmm. that series too. So, but you're right. That, that that one play sure does stand out. And you know, to the point about it being so hard. You know, we we talk about and Cubs fans always talk about. You know, look at the Dodgers. This the Dodgers that they haven't won a World Series since 1988. That's how hard it is. Yeah. Yes, and they've had they've had not just good teams. They've had great teams the last couple of years, and still great teams with a lot of great players. Still couldn't get it done. And you know, so it's yeah, it's 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 an interesting time. Um, what do you think about the thought that the Cubs would be better off as this, as we kind of move now, get closer, closer to spring training to just starting the season and then gauging where they are. And if you're going to trade Bryant or you're going to trade Contreras doing it closer or right at the trade deadline. Oh, I think that's to me the, the way to do it, because again, I'm not sold on a lot of these or any of these teams really in the NL central I mean, you have, finally, you have some continuity in the coaching staff with the hitters and the pitchers where you have a hitting coach there for two years in a row. You have a pitching coach there for two years in a row. I think that had part to do with some of the um, the, the, the arrested development of some of the hitters. These are young men. They're very impressionable. You get three different messages in three years. Maybe it's not the determining factor, but it can't help. So now you've got some continuity there with guys like Baez and Schwarber and, and Contreras and some of these other guys that you, you want to really take that next step in development that you've been waiting for, it could happen. And, and instead of looking to, to dump these guys at the trading deadline, maybe you're looking to add because maybe the Reds aren't any good. Maybe the Brewers aren't any good. The The idea that they need to get under this, the magical competitive balance tax level one or whatever it is to avoid being a repeater when you really look at what the penalties are, they're not that much. I, no, that's a bill of goods to me. Yeah, the, the owners have happily 
Um, they sold it to the players. Like, look, it's only going to be this percent. It's only going to be this much. Yeah, teams aren't going to, you know, don't worry about it. They're going to spend over that. But they just like the idea then they could somehow sell it to fans. There are fans who completely buy into it. Like, oh, no, you can't go over that. Because then you lose draft picks and you lose all this money. Well, no. If you're over three years, your first-round pick drops down 10 slots, which is, if you're any good, that's not that big a deal. Right. The actual tax itself, I mean, the Cubs paid $7 million last year. You know, big deal. And it's like, well, he's not your money. It's like, well, I also, my dad didn't sell his company for, you know, for $26 billion last week. I I think they probably can afford it. And if they can't, what the hell did they buy a baseball team for? No, absolutely, especially if they claim to be the, 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 the great Cubs fans that they are, and, and all they want to do is win. So, you know, I, I just, to me, that's what, a real bill of goods that the, the fans have just swallowed whole. And it's like, forget that. None of that stuff really matters. Go for it, and, you know, the consequences be damned. So if they decide that, you know what, we're just going to wait. We'll, we'll see where we're at on, at the end of July, and we'll make our move. They haven't the, – the fact that they, they didn't make any incremental moves even in the offseason. They still don't have a second baseman. They still don't have a center fielder. Um, and they, they don't have, have a fifth starter either. Is it going to be Alec Mills? Or is it going to be Tyler Chetwood uh, to replace Cole Hamels in that rotation? I can't I, – Tyler Chetwood as a starting pitcher is, is the worst experience <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there trying, just watching him try to get through innings is just, it's mind-numbing. It's, I just, I don't want to, I don't even want to think about that. But this idea that, you know, you've got Theo, you've got a Hall of Fame, I guess he's the, he's the president, vice president, whatever, not the general, he's the general manager, but, you know, he's got a fancier title. Yeah. And this idea that, well, no, he can't add a player unless he gets rid of, we need him to offload salary first. So you're telling me you don't trust your Hall of Fame general manager, to do things out of order. It's too complex for him to go out and find somebody in the market who's like, you know, this guy, this is a $7 million player. We can get him for $5 million. Let's grab him right now. And then have, you know, one of the rickets tell him, well, you know, you have to get rid of that salary first. It's like, I think he can walk and chew gum at the same time. You could trust him that if he needs to, his salary, his payroll needs to be at a certain level on a certain date. He's going to figure out how to get it there. But they don't seem to be willing to let him do that. It's 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 amazing. I don't know how he has he has fought the urge to put the gorilla suit on and just walk out of the front office again. Yeah, I was thinking about that exact thing. I just I, I'm I'm just wondering if somebody's going to ask him this weekend, this Saturday at the convention. You know how frustrated are you by this? You you came here um, thinking one thing you got to where you wanted to go and you would think that you would build up enough trust and, and enough capital to where they would just say, Theo, you figure it out and yep. we'll count the money. Yep. And if he does, if he does say something that, you know, expresses, you know, disgust with the situation, that's big because he's, you know, he's very good. He, you know, he knows what to say and he knows when to say it. So if, if, if he lets out some frustration, he's doing it on purpose. It'll be, oh, it's, it'll yeah, be absolutely. It won't be. Oh crap! I wish I hadn't said that. I mean he he knows what he he knows today what he's going to say. It just depends on how he how it gets asked. But you know this 
the idea that we sit here on the 14th of January and the Cubs have really effectively done nothing in a very winnable division is, it's just, it's, it's an, it's an insult to charge big market prices for everything and try to run your team as though you're cash strapped. It's, it's mind boggling. Yeah, so, especially when you're your president of base out of a business when the hundred percent over budget on the renovation. <laughs> I was surprised it was that low. Crane's probably <laughs> like, "Look, that was pretty good, a hundred percent. That means yeah. twi- that means twice as much." Crane. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Crane. Let's explain it to you in a way that you would understand it. Okay, so you budgeted. Uh, you were going to put three thousand dollars worth of gas in your yacht. But it costs six thousand dollars. Oh shit! You know that maybe that's how they have to explain things. <laughs> and I don't know if they're. I mean, my assumption is, and you know what happens when you assume, is that at the convention we're going to get the the announcement of the lineup of the talent on marquee. <coughs> Excuse me. But really, we don't. Other than a rumor, we know we. We know. We know as much as you can know anything with the Cubs that Len and um, Jim will be back doing the broadcast. And there's a rumor that Cole Wright from NFL Network is going to be like the studio guy. But they've got a lot of hours during the day to fill. And they haven't announced anybody. It's are they are, and are they that good at keeping a secret or have they just not hired anybody yet? It doesn't seem like they've hired anybody. You need, you know, the, the sideline reporter, the role that Kelly Kroll filled very nicely the last couple of years that, you know, there's been you know, talk that maybe she's coming back, but we don't even know that yet. So like you said, the, the studio host and, you know, w- what about days where the Cubs aren't playing and you have the, uh, you know, the, the roundtable discussions and all that kind of stuff. So no, I, I, there's been no even rumblings of that kind of stuff. And much to my surprise, Creighton hasn't called me. I thought for sure he'd be like, Andy, how's, can you do, can you kill three hours a day right in the middle of the day? Sure, I'd be happy to do it. I haven't got a call yet. So maybe, Me neither. Maybe he's playing hard to get. We should just do that. We should just show up the first day, go down <laughs> to the studios, and go, where's where's makeup? Because we're ready. And they'll be like, oh, yeah. who, are you, who are you two? <laughs> it would be, it would be, it could be a lot worse, and it probably will be. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting because they don't, they, you know, there was the, the assumption for the longest time that it made, seemed to make sense that the Cubs and Blackhawks would share that. So you'd have all winter, you'd have Blackhawk content, and the summer you'd have Cub content, so you'd always have something. Um, but they, you know, they don't want to share, which is fine, but I don't know how you're going to program. I mean, it's, I mean, right now it's three hours of Cub baseball and 21 hours of infomercials. Which is going to be a fun watch. I guess if you got Comcast, you're really not going to be missing much for a while. No, that no, not at all. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to opening day when they have the ceremony. They go out to the center field and they raise the new banner, the one that says, "You know, Chicago Cubs service time manipulation champions." They can run that one right up next to the others. And then whoever is, is taking over for Chris Bryant can run out and wave at everybody. That'll be great. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, we, we won the grievance, so there you go. 
hey, we're $8 million under the luxury tax threshold. Everybody give us a – fans should love that. That should be – because that's that really makes – that's what makes your sport popular. When fans – Yeah, have and, sit, and, have and the sit. prices will magically go down. You know, the beer will be $8 instead of 9 or 12 or whatever it is. So it's uh, – we're getting close to Hall of Fame announcement time, and – um, you are a voter. I wanted to ask you something about the process because I'm not a Hall of Fame voter because I'm just some random dude. Um, has there been talk? Because I know I know you I know you're friends with the president of the Baseball Writers Association of America. Has there been any talk of waiving the waiting period for Hall of Fame induction for the late great Luis Valbuena? Well, yeah, that has been discussed, yeah, and I'm really good. not at liberty to uh, oh, good. You know, I like say that. exactly where that is right now. But I, uh, I, I like the non-denial Hall of Fame. The Batflip Hall of Fame, I know, is waiting. Oh yeah, he would be. He's he's the greatest of all time at that. I uh, I I miss Luis. He was uh, I he was a a guy who got an awful lot out of what he had. I always respected that. And he was a, a, a good guy and a bad team. So, you know, he, he knew his role. He was happy to do it. He played every day. And, you know, he's like one of those guys like, uh, you know, the, the backup catcher they had, Navarro, Deanna Navarro, oh, yeah. same type of guy. So, so the headliner on the ballot this year is obviously Derek Jeter. And then the talk that will we we had it with Mariano Rivera. Will we have another unanimous selection to the Hall of Fame? Do you think Derek Jeter will get a hundred percent of the votes? I do, but it wouldn't surprise me if somebody tried to make a statement uh, like they did with Maddox or whoever. Was. Maddox should have been uh, unanimous as well. But I think now that the ice has been broken with Rivera. And the fact that Jeter's such a high profile, I don't think anybody wants to take the heat yeah. uh, of being the, the person who does not vote for him. Uh, especially now you have much more transparency in the voting. A lot of people like myself, you know, reveal our ballots, reveal them early. And, uh, you know, it's fun to kind of watch this tracker that Ryan Thibodeau has, you know, on Twitter every day. It's slow to a crawl lately. But I think there's, I think Jeter is one headline and the other is whether Larry Walker gets in in his 10th and final year of eligibility. Those are the two things I'm watching, and Walker seems to have picked up a lot of votes. We'll, we'll see what happens in, in the later and uh, anonymous um, votes if people change their minds there. So if that happens, I think you'll get two in. I think Schilling is a long shot, and Bonds and Clemens will maybe go up a little bit, but they're not going to make it. Yeah, I'm, I get the case for Larry Walker. Um the only reason that I I wouldn't want him to get in is because he played for the Cardinals. That probably doesn't seem like the best reason not to put him in. Um, but he certainly was. I remember a, Dusty bringing in Mike Remlinger to face him all the time, you know, knowing not knowing like reverse splits and like Walker hit one, you know, like to the arch or someplace one day. Yeah, I do remember. Um, so that was 04, right? When the uh, 
when the yeah. Cardinals got Walker, I, be, I think it was a post, it was a waiver deal, right? He had cleared waivers. Uh, yeah. And uh, Mark Pryor, somebody asked Mark Pryor, or told him, they got Larry Walker, and he's like, oh yeah, that's great. That's that's exactly what they need. This, the sarcasm dripping off of his answer. Is if, yeah, that team, that's what they need. They need a really good guy to play right field for him now. That's Thanks a lot. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think that he's, uh, I, I think that uh, that's to say, Jeter and Walker are the two to watch. And, you know, I, I think Walker just might, you know, might sneak in with exactly 75 or 76 percent. Well, and you made a great point in the column you wrote about how you figure out how you're going to vote. That the, it's, it's difficult now to exclude the supposed steroid guys when baseball went ahead and put Bud Selig in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's he knew what was going on. He didn't do anything with it. And so if he's a Hall of Famer, then how can you really penalize the guys who supposedly, um, you know, people look at, I guess the exceptions seem to be Bonds and Clemens because we, we think, we're pretty sure that we could figure out when the usage started. And they were great players before. They were on a Hall of Fame track before they did it. Um but to me, it was also Tony La Russa getting in. I mean, there's, yep. a, there's a guy who, everywhere he went, he benefited by guys who were, you know, better living through chemistry. Yeah, and the thing with, with Selig is, not only was the whole thing, you know, whether he knew about it, sure he did, but nobody profited more off of that era than, than Bud Selig. So if he's in, and he really got ramrodded through, so... My my feeling was I always said it was like the Rolling Stones song, time is on my side, I want to hear more, so I'm not going to vote for Bonds and Clemens in the early years. Well, it was a kind of a cop-out, I think. So once Sela got in, it really kind of took that away from me, and I thought the hell with it, and I'm almost about ready just to open it up to everybody. Hey, Manny Ramirez, A-Rod, Sammy, come on in. Uh, Sheffield, if he's under some suspicion. Let's just open it up and say, and if you even want to note it on the plaque or in the hall someplace, say that, you know, that they played in this era. But I, I just think that, and, and, and do we really know, do we really know if, you know, player X who said he was clean really was? Right. So uh, that's a, a lot that went into my, my thinking about that and changing my mind on those two guys anyway. Yeah, and the, and the, the other benefit of uh, if it really got opened up and Sammy got in, would be the Ricketts having to deal with the fact that now he's a Hall of Famer. And can they, they already won't give you a real reason as to why he shunned from Wrigley, but it would make it really hard if he's all of a sudden he's an anointed Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, it would really force Tom's hand. And his answers have been totally unsatisfactory on that to the point where he gets mad even if you ask him the question, but they don't mind you know, having Sammy's pennant up at the top yep. of the roof with the Sammy in the 66 or whatever. And, and you know, the, the, the Cubs profited, even though Ricketts wasn't there, they profited handsomely off of Sammy. But, yeah, that would make for kind of an awkward situation. And, you know, Bonds has been welcomed back into the game. McGuire has had, you know, various coaching jobs, hitting coaches. So, uh, yeah, I say I'm almost at the point where I'm just going to say the hell with it. Um, if If the numbers were there, you know, who am I to moralize, let them all in and let somebody else sort it out. It, it, it just, it falls into the long list of things, the Ricketts, the public relations stuff that the Ricketts can't get right. Fans don't expect them to do much with Sammy. 
I mean, I really think if all they did was they brought him back, had him throw out the first pitch at a game, and wave to the crowd, the Rickers could just wash their hands of him then. You know, the, nobody, ex- nobody expects him to make him a coach, to invite him to spring training to be a special coach. It's just the idea that you're just going to pretend that he was never there. You could do the bare minimum and get everybody off your back, and they, they don't even seem to want to do that. It's no, you could have him come to the convention. I mean, uh, Zambrano is going to be there again. He walked out on the team, and like we talked about him before yeah. in, in some of his knuckleheaded stuff, of maybe not to the degree of Sammy, but just in, in, there's an appetite for this from the fans. Like you said, ha- introduce him at the convention, have Pat Hughes do the dramatic thing like he did with Kerry Wood a few years ago. I got some breaking news, and you know, here's Sammy. Have him throw out the first pitch one day and maybe sing the stretch and you know, talk some gibberish with Len and, and JD up in the booth and then be then be done with it. Yeah, yeah literally it would be one day. And honestly, you probably need half. He's going to want to leave early anyway. So it's only four. Sure. You probably only he's need done to get, that before. You only need to get four innings out of him and he's gone. Yeah, it's they, they're their own worst enemy on a lot of things. And <clears throat> this seems so insignificant. But it's they've drawn this weird line in the sand and they now they... Now they have to give in to make it go away, which is just really weird. So, I don't want to keep it too much longer, Bruce. I really appreciate this. It was a lot of fun. My pleasure. Um, so, I guess your your prediction um, is, because we're going to have the awkward, Chris Bryant's going to be at the convention getting asked by fans all these questions. Are you leaving? Um First, do you think he'll be on the roster on opening day? And then, well, I'll let you answer that one first. Yes, I do. Okay, and then do you think he'll be on the roster on August 1st? I think that will depend on the whole grievance thing. If, you know, he, they have the other year of control, the second year of control beyond this year, I, I think that definitely he's on that. And, you know, maybe they even try to work out something with an extension. But, you know, I, I think um, yes and yes. Just because, uh, you know, I, I'm just not sure, you know, if these asking prices are what people are said, you know, that they'll be able to get a fair return for him. Right. Yeah, I don't, I didn't buy the, I want to know which five people Dave Kaplan talked to, where he managed to find five scouts who all said Chris Bryant wasn't any good anymore. I, I assume it was the same guy five times. Um, <laughs> Probably. I mean, yes, we, we even saw it last year before he hurt his knee. He was having a great season. He's not a good player. He's a great player. And they're very hard to find. And if you trade him, the idea is you're hoping one of the guys you get from him becomes a great player. Chances are they're not going to. The, the, almost always, the, the team that gets the best player in the trade at the time of the trade wins the trade. I find it very difficult to believe that the Cubs could trade him and come out better than if they just kept him. And honestly, God, if you keep him for two years and then somebody outbids you for him, take the compensatory draft pick and move on because you'll at least have him for two more seasons. I just, but nobody asked me. No, no, nor do they ask me. And I think seven years of, of Chris Bryant, I think when you'd average it all out after that, it'd be pretty damn good. And, uh, you know, one of the top players in your franchise history. But, you know, who knows? Maybe Cap gave the guy five Malnati's cards and, you know, <laughs> got those opinions i don't know yeah all right well thanks a lot bruce i really appreciate it all right andy talk to you down the line and see you on the twitters and uh see you in the cup of coffee absolutely thanks a lot bruce all right take care